Nothing is more gay than this. Everyone's so gay. Everyone's so hot. There is absolutely something for everyone. Yep, that's a queer vibe. <laughs> she is gay. <laughs> Incredible. I'm like, this does not feel heterosexual at no. all. <laughs> this is a gay movie. Hello, everyone. In case you missed it, we released two episodes today. The first is a discussion about us potentially becoming a Star Trek podcast, why we would do that, what it would be like, etc. And you will hear that reference several times throughout this episode, which is about the Star Trek The Next Generation pilot episode. I do recommend that you start with uh, the episode that I believe I have titled are we becoming a Star Trek podcast? You decide. But like, you do you, you know? You can start here if you want to. Um, That's it. That's all I have to say. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast that might be becoming a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about the pilot episode slash two-parter of Star Trek The Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint, part one and two. We sure are. Uh, before we get into the episode proper, we have been asked to provide more detailed descriptions of the things that we're talking about. I am going to be recording those separately and putting them at the beginning of the episodes, so... You will have heard, actually, I'll probably cut that in right now, um, but in the future, it'll be before the hello and welcome to, and uh, you can listen if you want or skip them if you just watch the episode, and yeah, happy to provide. Okay, so as requested, a detailed summary of this episode, and I am going to be reading this straight from Wikipedia because... Star Trek nerds are very thorough, and why reinvent the wheel when someone has already written an excellent recap for me, you know? If you recently watched the episode and don't want to listen to a detailed description, go ahead and skip about two and a half minutes starting now. Okay. In 2364, the new flagship of the United Federation of Planets, Starfleet's USS Enterprise, travels to the planet Deneb IV for its maiden voyage. Enterprise is to open relations with the simple Bandy people who have somehow been able to tap immense energy reserves and construct Farpoint Station, much to the surprise of the Federation. En route, the Enterprise is met by an omnipotent being who identifies himself as Q, a member of the Q Continuum, posing in appearance as a Grand Inquisitor, who declares that humanity is being put on trial, then decides that their actions in the upcoming mission will be used to judge their worthiness and determine their fate as a race. Before letting the ship resume its course, Q warns Captain Picard that he is destined to fail. As the Enterprise arrives, the crew members explore the offerings of Farpoint Station and establish relations with their bandy host, Groppler Zorn. The crew becomes suspicious when items they desire seem to appear out of nowhere moments later and are unable to identify the power source that feeds the station. 
Deanna Troy, an empath, senses a being with powerful yet despairing emotions nearby, and the crew discover a strange labyrinth beneath the station, but Zorn does not offer an explanation. As the Enterprise crew continues its explorations, a large unknown alien craft enters orbit and begins to fire upon an older bandy settlement near Farpoint Station, and abducts Zorn. Before Picard orders the ship's phasers to be fired at the craft, Q appears to remind him of humanity's trial and prompts Picard to send an away team to the alien craft. The away team discovers the craft has passages similar to those under Farpoint Station, and they are able to free Zorn. The action caused the alien craft to transform into a jellyfish-like space creature, and Picard is able to deduce the mystery of Farpoint Station. He confirms with the apologetic Zorn that the Bandy found a similar life form injured on their planet, and while attempting to care for it, they also exploited its ability to synthesize matter to create Farpoint Station. The creature now in orbit is trying to help free its mate by attacking those who hold it captive. Though Q goads Picard into punishing the Bandy, Picard refuses, instead ordering the Enterprise to fire a vivifying energy beam onto Farpoint after the station is evacuated. The beam allows the landbound creature to transform back into its jellyfish-like form, and it flies into orbit to join its fellow being. As the crew watches the reunion of the alien creatures, Q reluctantly tells Picard that the humans have survived in their test, but hints that they will meet again. So now we're going to get started with today's headlines. Extra, extra, Q does so much to gain the attention of his crush. (laughs) The most. The most. (laughs) All right, and now we're going to turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Um, okay, so this is the only time I'm going to talk about this, which is iconic theme song, Patrick Stewart swelling music the graphics also of both the theme song and the like graphics of things that are happening in space excellent look at everyone look at how great practical effects still look (laughs) get out your bingo boards (laughs) (laughs) i seriously need to make an actual bingo board that people can download from our shop for free um maybe that'll be the next thing we source from our patrons is what should be on the squares of our bingo board Um, I totally agree, like, one million percent. I feel like this show might be the thing that, like, made my feelings about practical effects as strong as they currently are, because I just, the first time I watched it a couple years ago, I was just like, but this is from 1987. I feel like that's how I feel every time I watch the first Jurassic Park, and you're just like, I still get chills from some of these shots. From 1993. <laughs> and yep. it's just like, it looks so good. It's so rewatchable. And like, you just don't, there's just none of the cringing when you watch like, I don't know, CGI from like eight years ago. And you're like, oh God, oh, the rendering. Oh. <laughs> yeah, totally. <sighs> uh, yeah. The difference between this intro and the Voyager intro, I feel like is exactly <laughs> like the summary of what you're describing. I have not seen Voyager in a long time, even though it has a very special place in my heart of, I think, the only Star Trek show that I watched while it was actually before it had ended. <laughs> well, in like 20 years, we'll switch to uh, Voyager <laughs> when we finish this podcast uh... um, or this show. Uh, yeah, you know, okay, so my first note is just actually just for anyone who like watched this because we're talking about it, because I just want to reassure you that 
the quality of everything, the writing, the acting, the sound design, it gets better. This is not indicative of what you are in for because this episode's a little, a little rough. You know, I feel like though, I find it okay because I like to keep a like running list in my brain about television pilots that are actually good because I feel like it's really notable when it's like, you got the writing and the characterization and the voice and you got all, you got all that shit down in a way where if you re because like a lot of shows you don't you don't want to watch the first season you know right if it's a especially a show from the 90s where there was like eight to ten seasons you like skip the whole first season yeah no i mean as evidenced by the fact that you love buffy and have never watched season one of buffy (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i actually i have seen the first episode it is not that good no it's not so no but you're right like the i do think that they the the plot is interesting you're invested they did get like most of the characters really down but there's like several times where you can like hear their voices echoing in the sound stage <laughs> like there's a lot that you're like did you make this for 12 dollars <laughs> so <laughs> um but yeah no it's not like that it gets it gets better um one of the things i think they did not uh skimp on which is uh, the the chairs on the bridge are these like brown leather. They have like a bunch of like different like sections. It's very futuristic. Uh, honestly, it's a little bit um, like a little bit mid century modern, like sixties futuristic in space. Um, they look comfy as fuck, and I want one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love an ergonomic office design, you know. You deserve to be comfortable in the, your workplace. The, the computer panels swing out when everyone needs to, when everything to get up. And I'm like, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Look at that design. Um, I guess my next thing is just like, I've watched this entire show twice, but I 1 million percent had forgotten that we meet Q like six minutes into episode one. I was like, I remembered everything about the plot with the jellyfish and the station and whatever. And I just like fully had, I just like the Q episode was like a separate thing in my brain. (laughs) So he showed up and I was like, oh my God, we're starting so strong with our major love interest. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Okay. I don't know if you had this exact same thought, but uh, Q, Q shows up. They're like, who the fuck are you? One of the red shirts pulls out his phaser and he was like, I'm a freeze you. And Picard is like, he literally had his phaser to stun. But what I can't get over is the size of the phaser. It looks like one of those little like brick, like Nokia. It's like smaller than like a brick Nokia phone. It looks like and a pager. I'm, and I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you being intimidated by someone using a like pager. Come on, Q. <laughs> Seriously. No, I had the same thought. They don't keep looking like that, right? No, they don't. Okay. Yeah, I feel like pretty soon they look like more like a label maker than like, like a pager. It's just so comically small. Yeah. Um, yeah, my only other thing here is that this episode, you know, you know, our listeners probably know, uh, my preference is for uh, exposition to be peppered in as it becomes relevant throughout a thing, and this episode goes 
honestly, the JK Rowling route with the exposition. It's like, you need to know everything. And I'm like, I don't actually like I could find these things out over the first seven to eight episodes and would be fine. Uh, My favorite part is Riker getting a video recap. Yeah. (laughs) Like no one wants to watch a video, any kind of video on the first day of your job. And I'm like, Riker, you know, I'm glad you're making the right facial expressions for this, for this like weird recap. But uh, Picard should have told you that in like a paragraph. I feel like (laughs) Picard's sort of like hazing of Riker. (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The fact that they like told us three separate times that Picard like brought Wesley's dad's body home. I was like, you guys, this is like kind of important but it is not three times in one episode important why are you doing this because it's pretty clunky at least two of the times so so many things in this episode don't make any sense and i'm just like yeah i can't wait to talk about all the issues with this episode (laughs) (laughs) okay Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about character development. Uh, my first note here is just Q stands for queen. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> what else is there to say about Q to really just steals the limelight on this episode, truly. Drag queen, drama queen, other kinds of queen. I feel like Q is such a gift. Q is the, like, Captain Jack of... Of Star Trek, of someone who just was like, you know what the world needs? An over-the-top queer immortal. And every time the answer is yes, <laughs> we do need that. Thank you. Because it turns out when you're, you just get more catty, the more of eternity you have lived through. And who doesn't love a catty gay? <laughs> exactly. Ah. <laughs> uh, <sighs> Yeah, just nothing about Q is heterosexual, and I love it. I've just... I know. <laughs> and for the record, for anyone who doesn't know, the actor playing Q is playing Q as in love with Picard. Uh, the vibes are on purpose, at least in from from him towards Picard, which is great. Yeah, that the actor is quite the gift. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Picard? Yeah, he's so awkward in this episode. <laughs> yeah, this is not... I'm glad that they made some some changes to his uh, character between this episode and future ones. Namely that he is, like, never this reckless again. I, like... It's like, what what do you mean you're detaching the saucer section at warp 9.6? You, Picard, wouldn't. Janeway? That is a Janeway maneuver, one million percent. Oh, yeah. She does not care if she kills all 900 people in the saucer section. Picard, however, would never. Yeah, it is. He does so many. I mean, his. The way that he deals with Q is very much like. We will see more of that like this. But yeah, everything else, he's just like, 
awkward and like making these really weird decisions. And I'm just like, man, you're really having an off day, my dude. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but we do get like my favorite thing in this episode, which like for anyone who only watched this and has never watched anything else, here's the kind of spoiling we're going to do. The entire thing where Picard is like, I hate children is just a setup so that it's like meaningful when he starts liking Wesley, which is like not even a spoiler because it's very evident from this episode that that's what's happening here. I don't know why they thought it was this important to, to have it be like special when he starts liking Wesley, but it comes across when he talks to Riker as if every time Picard sees a child, he is bar- like one second away from airlocking that child into space <laughs> for existing. And like, I feel like it's doubly funny because as I'm not very comfortable with like small children. And if every time I've like held a baby, I'm like, I'm going to drop this baby, get this out of my hands. This is too fragile. So I would see if Picard is like, don't hand me a like fucking one year old baby, which I'm like, is this going to happen? Uh, like how how old are these kids on the ship? They're like eight. You can just talk to them, my dude. It's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so to see like preteen slash teenage Wesley, I'm like this. He's like it's fifteen. Like not even a child, <laughs> right? You can talk to him like an adult. I don't know what you're feeling anxious about because dealing with teens, like interacting with teens, interacting with kids is like I feel like teens are easy in one way and hard in another, but like not hard in the way where it's like. How do I entertain or talk to a small child who is still figuring out how to person versus the figuring out how to person of a teenager who's just like, look at your cool ship. Look at this fucking bridge. Look at all this cool shit on your computer. And Picard can be like, yeah, you're right. It's fucking cool. Done. You're bonded. Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, right. And just being weird about it where I'm like. The way that he talks to Riker, it's like, <laughs> he's like. You are going, like, you're going to have to, like, hold me back like I am drunk at a bar and someone just insulted my mother. Like, anytime I'm around a child, you're like, what the fuck? You're just just imagining, like, Riker having to, like, dive in front of Picard like it's a bullet, but it's just someone's, like, eight-year-old being like, hello, Captain Picard, and it's just like, what the fuck? It makes it really fun, though, like, watching moving forward every time you see him pass a kid in the hallway, just imagine that he, like, on the inside is, like, one second away from just, like, grabbing that kid and just, like, kneading <laughs> them into space. <laughs> like, goes back to his quarters and does his, like, breathing exercise. Oh, my God. <laughs> Captain's log saw another child in the hall today. <laughs> Maybe you should have gone to ship where there weren't fucking families, Picard. Damn. <laughs> I'm sure those exist. Oh. <sighs> Do you have anything else here? I, that was the only, those are the only two things that I Cool. All right. I have two little things. Um, okay. We get this. Oh, my God. So I didn't mention earlier, even though it was on my list. Like, one of the things that I really love about this show is, like, I think I described it to one of our patrons as, like, we're going to be talking about autistic androids. Data is, like, one of the major reasons that I got my autism diagnosis. Like, my relationship to Data is very important. And so, like, him and Riker start things off in this episode kind of tense. Riker's like, I think it's weird that you're an android, whatever. And then when they're exploring in the tunnels, uh, Data notices himself doing something that clearly he's gotten 
feedback before is like annoying to do. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm like commenting on everything. And Riker is like, never be sorry for that. And we literally get like a ding, like the... I don't, the sound engineers were like, just make a little sound. That means that data is like, oh my God, I was just like validated for, for a thing that comes naturally to me that I've been shamed for, but apparently I don't need to feel ashamed of. And I just love it so much. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I had before you, uh, a live journal friend who was also really like data was one of her favorite characters and it was also because it's like autistic representation or it's like I see myself so much in Data and it's like I hope this is a thing for everyone because like Data is such an awesome character oh my god um everyone who is resonating right now I will put a link to Chuck Tingle's uh story shit what is it not pounded by someone else's thoughts on my place in the autistic spectrum because (laughs) That's honestly not cool. No, thanks. Something like that. It's really long. Um, But that's basically like his mostly autobiographical story about like getting his diagnosis and the fact that it was talking to his therapist about how much he identified with data from Star Trek that sort of led to his therapist being like, are you autistic? So I definitely think that it is not... It is not unique. Um, I think there's probably a lot of us out there who are like, why do I identify so much with this Android? So, Yeah. No, I mean, being a person is real hard. I feel like I am looking forward to watching a lot of data and being like, yeah, be, you're, you're personing just great data. You're fine. You're, you're personing exactly how people do. It's great. Yeah. Don't feel, don't feel bad about the way that you person. Agreed. So... Um, And my last thing here is just uh, Riker sits like a bisexual. Did you see him in his first officer's chair at the end of the episode? You're like, you do not know how to use a chair, my man. I know that you're probably sitting like it feels manly, but all you look to me is like you should be wearing some Doc Martens and (laughs) jeans with the knees ripped open. (laughs) It's been a really long time since I've seen this show, but I'm like... I feel like bisexual Riker is like a thing. I feel oh, like totally. I feel like that's his. I feel like that's his. Like his vibe is like bisexual and then like down for whatever bisexual. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I will say though, him without his beard is like clean shaven. I'm like, I can't handle looking at you right now. I, I know it's rough. <laughs> I'm like, uh, get me to season two already. <laughs> oh no, he doesn't grow his beard until season. Season two. I know we have to wait so long. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm having such a fun time. Okay. Welcome to the style and fashion section where we talk about aesthetics and remember that we do an image roundup for every episode. So if you want to look at what we're talking about while we talk about it, click the link in the show notes or go to hashtag ruthless.com slash the gaily planet and it will be there for you. Top mention is Q's weird religious pretentious gay garb that he's wearing for most of this episode in this trial. Yeah. I, it's like, he's like a, like a habit and like a giant chain, but also just this like robe cloak situation. I'm just like, what is happening? (laughs) 
I, it is a lot. I assume someone probably out there has like a breakdown of like the symbolic meaning of all the different things. Cause I assume it's just like pulled from like a ton of different eras of, you know, stuff. I feel this outfit gives me a little bit like Spanish Inquisition, like Pope vibes or Cardinal vibes, I suspect. Um, this is weirdly, I like, I think read like three different wiki kinds of wiki and like none of them had whatever his outfit is. Which I'm like, Star Trek nerds, come on. Yeah, <laughs> what are you interesting. Doing? Um, but it's very, it's, it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh uh, I just want to say I'm sad that we get less of these dresses moving forward. The like, oh, the Starfleet. Yeah. Uh, did you notice? Uh, there is one masculine person wearing one of those skirts. I think there's at least two. They're pretty consistent. Whenever they do show them, it's like at least a one for one of men and women wearing the tiny dresses, which. I would not care about the dresses if that were not the case. But <laughs> the fact that it is the case, I'm like, more of this, please. I mean, honestly, for like 87, I'm like, how, like that's probably the most gender fucker you're going to see on national television. That's not the religious right screaming about gay people you're going to get. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm here for it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It, and I'm sure that's why we got less of them moving forward. I'm sure people were like, this is a bridge too far. A man in a tiny, tiny, tiny skirt. But the fact that it was there at all is like this. Again, this is what I love about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. All right. So we get a very short and honestly sort of pointless scene with... Dr. McCoy from the first Star Trek, where he's an old dude and Data's showing him around. But he's wearing this like out of control gray silver glittery cardigan that's like but is also it's like a deep v that goes basically down to the navel he's wearing a shirt underneath it but it's like a cardigan but it's together at the bottom and i'm like the construction of this garment the glittery silver metallic i'm like i need this i need this sweater holy shit i feel like you could find that at a thrift store that sounds i wasn't paying too much attention because i was distracted by his old person makeup but uh, the that sounds very like something you would see someone wearing on like Full House. That sounds very like late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, I feel like if not, I am going to assume because the knit crochet nerds and the sci fi nerds is an egg of a Venn diagram. I'm sure mm. that someone has this knitting pattern on the internet somewhere. <laughs> I've never made a sweater before, but I would try. I would try. Mid. That's not the place to start. <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, it looks great. Uh, we have a P.O. box if anyone wants to knit Jesse a sweater. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I have one other thing, which is so cute. Actually, I'm so I don't know anything about fucking war history. Uh, cute wears a outfit from a war. I don't know what war. World War Two, the Korean War. I don't know. He's the, his green with the hat. Yeah, and Picard is like, it's been four hundred years since we wore costumes like that with this like, oh, what a ridiculous thing to wear. And I wrote, he says in his onesie, like, yeah, he, he's in a like <laughs> leotard onesie. Like you really, you really can't 
He can't throw stones fashion wise, my dude. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, uh, in some of the trivia I was reading, I think that 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 look of cues that you just mentioned was, I think, actually directly referencing someone who is maybe up. I would say prosecuted for war crimes. It's it's America, probably not being prosecuted, but someone who was like under some kind of scrutiny during the first Iraq war in the eighties. <laughs> so much more contemporary and one, one of the wars happening like recently. So it's like more, so like, that's actually a contemporary for the time, but it's now history for us sort of vibe, apparently. Interesting. So good for them for being like, you mean the thing we're happening right now? Psst. We got past that. Don't worry, everyone. Oh, no, that's lovely. Yeah, agreed. Um, My last thing is just that when Wesley goes to the bridge, he is straight up wearing a Coogee sweater. And I just kept laughing. I don't I know what that laughing. means. Uh, and so it's a style of sweater un- made popular, unfortunately, by Bill Cosby. Um, But like very so, let me see if I can describe it. I don't know if you remember it. It's like this sort of. It has like rouging. Yes. Sort of. Yeah. And like Coogee sweaters have that particular style of knit and is usually in five to eight different colors. Usually Coogee sweaters are like 80s and 90s kind of outrageous colors. But the, the style is like, at least for me, like very distinct. And that's why I'm just like, not, not as like in the future and people are still wearing Coogee sweaters. But I'm like... The 90s are back as of this recording. So I'm like, maybe the 90s just keep coming back in the, in the future. <laughs> I mean, Wes, until he gets his Starfleet uniform, basically, that's that's his outfit. He wears those in a variety of colors. So they, it was apparently very in. Wesley was watching a lot of uh, 80s television. And yeah. He's like, gotta get this Coogee sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Replicator. (laughs) (laughs) You just like feed your pattern in. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Uh, I feel like my first thing was just uh, Q's concern about humanity seems legit in 2024. Shrug emoji. Very, you know... I feel like this episode is basically doing the work to establish the future Star Trek is existing in, like in the way that we talked about a ton at the beginning of this episode. And it's, I don't know, I feel like because because it's cute and like maybe it felt more like over the top and heavy handed if you're watching, like when you're watching for the first time, but then once you've already seen it and you like know that this is basically just Q's whole deal is like antagonizing Picard, it feels fine. It's like, yeah, this is kind of a clunky way to tell us that humanity has become great, but also whatever. I'm having a good time. This is silly. Uh, It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is deeply silly. Yeah, just... And then, like, going back in time court, and it just, it's just like, this seems honestly less silly than, I mean, this is before really the rise of the televised court, courtroom uh, that we see in the 90s. So it's really, like, hard. I feel like this, if you had written this even a few years later, it would look different, I think. Yeah, I wanted to ask, so 
they say like they recognize this and Picard is like the post-atomic horror, which is, do you take that to mean that this is not like a conglomeration of like ways that people have interacted with trials throughout history, but that we like get back to this sort of like medieval peasants jeering uh, thing at some point after, you know, the big fallout that predates the utopia? Honestly, uh, yeah, because I, I thought that I thought it was mentioned that this takes place somewhere around, quote unquote, World War Three. So this is some kind of for the Enterprise crew route, an actual time period of events is what is how I was interpreting it, which is why I'm just like, this feels very like it feels very silly to be like, oh, this is the best you guys. You couldn't even conceptualize of how bad a like kangaroo court could look i guess right yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's really it's really weird i don't know i feel like the maybe i don't know just the insistence or the like suggestion that like the post apocalyptic garb is just going to be like medieval peasant from monty python is maybe the part that is like most confusing to me so i'm like but why it is uh pretty confusing uh i will say the part that i actually think was fucked up and that i don't like is the sort of so clearly they were trying to do a sort of like weird like culture soup of people in this court kind of deal. But the person who's holding the gong in these scenes, they put a little like Fu Manchu mustache on. And I'm like, that, that dude is not of Asian heritage. What are you guys doing? This feels like a fucked up, uh, racist, racial, racist caricature. Yeah. Just like it. I mean, even the, cause there's like two, people and like one of them is asian and honestly even for him it feels very like i don't know it's giving yeah. like 16 candles you know i'm just like yeah, what, it's are giving, we, like, what, what are we what, doing what are we doing with this yeah so i'm just like you, you didn't even need to have this why who who wrote this scene i know it's weird it's really weird i don't yeah. the I don't know. I mean, I feel like remembering back to my first time watching it, that whole thing just kind of feels like a fever dream. And you're like, what? Are you, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Um, the only other thing that I have here, because I did a very bad job of taking notes for like most of the middle of this episode, uh, is that when Riker is like, yes, I have a problem with you being an android, Data is like, understood, prejudice is very human. And I love that so much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually have that in my notes, is uh, Data reads Riker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> which it looks like data this is why you are human because that is some catty ass shit <laughs> to say to Riker and it's just like mm, it's so good yeah and I I mean I also really appreciate that we see Riker get defensive and then we see Riker be like yeah I did something fucked up and you're like ah oh, love that yeah alright uh, I have oh I have 
three things. They're all pretty small. Well, actually, okay. this one's not super small, which is, I think, and I think we get into this in later episodes slash seasons, but we learned in the first episode, we meet Jordi LaForge, a.k.a. LeVar Burton, everyone's favorite internet dad. And Crusher's like get, doing an analysis of his uh, adaptive technology that allows him to see in other various spectrums. And we tur- and, it fa- and it turns out that it gives him pain every day, all of the time. As so I'm like, we're in a future where you can rearrange matter to teleport it through time and space instantaneously. But y'all haven't figured out how to make this dude's adaptive technology not painful? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And it's another another thing where I'm like, what? It, why? And I'm, I don't think I have any ideas about why they felt like it was important for Jordy to be in pain all the time as a character trait. Ableism? I don't know. I'm just like, really? Right. Seriously? Like, this is this is the fu- this is the future. You can just shoot someone in the neck with a lit with a fucking Nokia phone and they're fine of any diseases. And yet, what? Right. So I don't know. I was just kind of like, okay, all right, everyone. <laughs> it's like you can imagine this future, but this is you can't imagine people with disabilities flourishing, not in pain. Okay. I y- yes, I feel like they must have felt like they were doing something, and I just can't. I can't figure out what they thought that they were doing with that because they wouldn't have put it there if they weren't like oh we're like doing something here it's just a mystery as to what this something was i have no idea i don't know what it is either but it does not read very well (laughs) in in contemporary contemporary eyes for sure also poor jordy that's fucked up give give him some fucking space morphine or whatever the fuck who cares well he says the painkillers would make his thingy not work as well. Uh, I feel like just justice for Jordy, I think, is just my <laughs> will be a recurring theme for me in this, yeah, in this show. 100%. And I guess my last two things are about our uh, space jellyfish. Uh, I mean, one, we get this sort of not quite ham-fisted allegory of like, wow, this whole quote-unquote perfect society that's built on the pain and suffering of another living creature that we're not acknowledging. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. we get it, you know? But I think actually what pisses me off even more is at the very end where the space jellyfish are in pink and blue. I'm like, seriously? Oh my god, really? I know. I was like, but why? <laughs> why are we gendering these space... Have them both be purple. Fuck you. Like... Yeah. Space jellyfish that they can exist in this back vacuum of space and eat matter, and y'all were like, "We got to make sure people don't think that this like two boy jellyfishes or something." Like, come on, seriously, are you serious? <laughs> and the thing is that until until they were like gendered colors, I feel like zero percent of people would have been like. Oh, I'm curious about the genders of those jellyfish. Like, I'm like, that's two jellyfish. Like, who looks at a jellyfish and is like, mm, I wonder, <laughs> do, they, do they even have, don't they have like 16 sexes? Am I thinking of something else? I feel like jellyfish are like, they're in a whole, they're doing their whole own thing, you know, their whole own terrifying thing. I'm so afraid of jellyfish. 
Yeah, no, they're fu- they're fucking weird. Um, yeah, and wow, why didn't the internet give me a more? But like, if they had just made them both like clearish white, jellyfish colored, yeah. everyone would have been like two jellyfish, done. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, jelly various species of jellyfish have a variety of configurations of how they reproduce. <laughs> So, so even more, uh, even more ridiculous that we get gendered colors for these space jellyfish. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (sighs) Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. This will be a recurring rant. Lieutenant Yar is one of the like three biggest threats to the enterprise she is out of control she has <laughs> no self-control who made her chief of security this woman reacts before she thinks 100 percent of the time <laughs> i'm just like she she is such a threat what the fuck Why? i mean she's not chief of security for very long because i'm like and when I saw, when I first saw this episode recently, I was like, wait, who are you? Worf is the chief of security for the Enterprise. Yeah, no, she dies. Being reckless. R.I.P. to this very obvious uh, lesbian character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you have next? Okay. So we have this moment where Riker is trying to find data. And as opposed to, like, I don't know, asking the computer or whatever, he just pulls some random ensign out of her room and she's, like, clearly in the middle of something <laughs> to be like, hey, how do I find data? And she's like, ask the computer, you fucking boomer. And then just goes back to whatever the fuck she was doing. And I'm just like, why are you bothering this poor woman? She's, like, is she even, she's the, she might not even be on duty. Like, you could have tapped your communicator and found like that you're in a computer's a giant smart computer my dude like what yeah. is happening i know it's I was, so weird i was just so mad on her in her defense uh listeners before starting to watch the show i've been binging a lot of lower decks so that's why i'm just like this poor girl just trying to like live her life and then just <laughs> random first officers like i need the i need you right now for this important information (laughs) that i could have just asked the computer for yeah it's like one of the many things that made me be like this is just like exposition the episode where that interaction happens so that she can be like look what our computer is capable of and i'm like you know how else you could have done that is to have Riker go computer locate commander data. And then we as an audience would have been like, wow, the computer can do that. I don't, maybe in 1987, we really did need a human to hold our hands and be like, it's, it's the future. The computer can do this. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's the future. You don't need a young typist to tell you where you're about your messages. <laughs> And to check your mail, you can you can just bypass that and ask the computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Speaking of which, the almost the entirety of my rant is about the issues with this episode, okay. which is I spent 
The Memory Alpha, which is the wiki, the wiki, the fan wiki for our Star Trek, overly detailed. I get it, nerds. You all like Star Trek. It's overly detailed and could be edited more. But essentially, this episode was supposed to be an hour, the average length, or 45 minutes, 42 minutes, whatever. And for whatever reason, Paramount wanted it to be like an hour and a half. So two hours with commercials. And there was a lot of apparently back and forth behind the scenes. So like, essentially they learned last minute that it was gonna be two hours and not like one hour. So they had to throw in a bunch of filler. Hmm. Which, on one hand, one of the filler parts was adding the whole Q thing in the first place. Like the episode was initially just supposed to be the whole... The encounter at Fairpoint, all this weird shit happening. But adding Q is actually sort of a like, well, we need to fill out this episode. Which, obviously, not good. Perfect way. Like, the Q part of this episode is the strongest thing going for it. Yeah. Let's be real. Um, but then you get stuff like Riker having to watch a three-minute recap of what we just of what we just saw. And even the whole part about the Enterprise separating and then re-coming back together was put in there to fill time. Oh, Which interesting. Is feels so hilariously dated now because shows just don't get a 22 episode season anymore. And then the idea of having to put in filler into a television show is just like time. You have, y'all have time for filler? Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to get the plot in to what we're doing, like, let alone having to waste extra time in between <laughs> commercials. So, that, so when there's parts of this episode that are like, why is this here? This didn't need to be here. This could have been 20 minutes shorter. That's why. Interesting. That makes me feel better, honestly. Not that I, like, dislike this episode. I really enjoy watching this episode. But, yeah, there's a lot that you're like, why is this so clunky? This is not what the show is like. Um, So knowing that it was sort of not their fault is nice. Yeah, I think I'm specifically thinking about this time around watching the like them separate the enterprise and then bring it back together. And I'm like, we're still doing this. Like how, <laughs> how much is, how, how much time is passing? Can we get back to the plot? <laughs> See, I like assumed that that was part of them being like, we just have to tell you up front all of the cool stuff that we're working with. Um, and it's great to know that that was not, that they didn't feel like the audience needed all of this information off the bat. They just were sort of forced <laughs> into doing it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have one more small thing, but do you have another editorial? Um, not that can't come up in a later episode. So go ahead. All right. So there's a lot of things in this episode that we don't ever see again in, in Star Trek. Cause it's just like, what the fuck? But one thing <laughs> I can't, I cannot let this pass is when Crusher's on at Fairpoint and she's like looking at fabric and then it like magically changes into a fabric that she likes and she's like, I'm going to buy the whole bolt. Why? Why are you buying a bolt of fabric? You wear the same five uniforms all of the time. Is there a tailor on board? The end of, like, what do you do with this bolt of fabric, my girl? Like, I'm just... I Same. Same question. I was like, <laughs> what, what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she... Maybe she sews. Like, maybe she's going to make some um, throw pillows, you know, in her her downtime. Yeah. Because I'm like, even if we're like formal Star Trek, formal Starfleet things, people just wear their like formal dress uniforms. Right. <laughs> so it's like, what is this for? It's just like, oh, okay, we have to make, put this point in. 
I mean, people still need hobbies even when there's a replicator. So let's just say that Crusher enjoys sewing. And maybe she's not good at it. And when she's done, she just feeds it to the replicator. And she's like, I had a fun time. Starfleet paid for this fabric with money that's irrelevant to me. So like, whatever, who cares? Support the local economy. I'm like, charge it to Starfleet. Charge what? Like, y'all have money. Like, what? I assume Starfleet has to have money because they interact with, you know, species and planets and whatever that do still use money. So, although we will see several times where like, our our crew like show up somewhere and like i don't know order drinks or whatever and then are like i'm with starfleet i don't have fucking money <laughs> i'm like this is so rude what the fuck <laughs> there, uh, there's just like one general like starfleet tab that's just and some poor accounting robot has to figure out all of convert all the currencies to right like how like what how is yeah. <laughs> I know. <sighs> Welcome to the personal section where we talk about sexy stuff. Um, all right. So we learn in this episode that Riker and Troy were lovers previously. Um, it's very tense. It's very intense. Um, <clears throat> Picard continuing to be the most awkward and completely oblivious (laughs) he's like watching them just like they're not just staring at each other listeners they are communicating telepathically they are vibing the whole hallway is uncomfortable and picard's like oh have you met before and Riker's like yeah and he's like great it's important that my officers understand each other's abilities it's so weird and then they're like, oh, we do. And you're like, the fucking innuendo. Like, I right. laughed for so long. <laughs> yeah, they understand each other's abilities. These two have fucked. Um, I think my favorite part of this actually is when, like, Picard's talking to Riker. And, like, maybe you hear the door opening, but before you see Troy walk in, it's just like, Riker has, like, twinkly heart eyes and the music is like twinkly heart eye music (laughs) and i'm like this is so this is so entertaining like Riker literally has like twinkly like sparkling heart eyes (laughs) when he sees deanna troy yeah and i'm like i feel like you normally don't get this you see this from like dudes like the dudes are just like My crush is, well, you know, and it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's just, it's just very entertaining, especially yep. with his fucking baby face. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Grow a beard already. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, I just want to say, obviously, Q is like very into Picard from Jump. But at the end of the episode, when Q's like trying so hard to like, interfere and like be annoying and picard is just completely acting like he is not there i feel like you just watch q get like hornier and hornier the longer picard ignores his existence and it is so great (laughs) yeah uh the dynamic yeah just uh the way that their dynamics are just like in this episode is just so it's just chef's kiss it's so perfect (laughs) yeah it feels like I mean, and it makes sense. Q is this immortal, all-powerful, a god, let's not mince words, 
I can understand that if you're a god, you're used to just, like, being the top in every situation. And so the vibe that I get is Q, who has, like, lived his entire immortal life, like, yearning to be topped, find someone who's willing to do that for him. And, or, I mean, really, we will talk later about Picard also being a bottom and that being their fundamental incompatibility. But, like, (laughs) in that moment, Q is like, oh, my God. Like, are you, can I bottom? Like, <laughs> hello? Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're like, uh, dynamic established, you know? It's so good, but also you're so correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> as you should. Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about science and history and research that we did. I did shockingly little research, I think, for this. (laughs) I think that's fair. We had a lot to cover. Yeah, and also I was very hungover yesterday when I watched this episode, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, God. But uh, I think it has to obviously be mentioned that in the cue as part of the historic, classic storytelling trope of the trickster god, is he here to help you? Is he here to hurt? Is it both at the same time? Who knows? He's just here to create some chaos and you just don't know how it's going to work out. And I love that. Who doesn't love a trickster God? Oh, spite literally spicing things up in this story. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. So many cultures have a trickster God. It's just like humanity loves chaos. (laughs) Yeah. And we love imagining that the chaos is caused by like one specific thing that you can name because I feel like that's very comforting. Yeah. Very true. Cool. We did it. We did it. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back in a month with the Naked Now episode, technically three, (laughs) of Star Trek The Next Generation. Please check the show notes for all the things. Consider joining us on Patreon if you're able. Yeah. If you like this, uh, consider supporting us in all the ways you can read in the show notes. And uh, tell all your Star Trek-loving friends. Perfect time to get into Star Trek. Now there's like five new shows happening. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, we are going to decide based on downloads. So really <laughs> do tell your friends. So, mm-hmm. Okay. And until next time. Oh, we, we don't have a, a sign-off. We don't. We need one. I had this terrible idea. This is not what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> a thing that... Uh, is true is that the character of Picard was originally supposed to be French and they initially were like let's have Patrick Stewart do a French accent and then he was so bad at it that they were like absolutely not he'll be British we'll never talk about it um and so I love watching the show and just repeating some of his most like iconic lines in a terrible French accent. <laughs> Are you, you mean like terrible a la uh, season one, episode four of Our Flag Means Death where exactly everyone's doing a terrible I mean. French? <laughs> yes, like the worst French accent you can imagine. <laughs> And so I had this idea where we would each just like pick a line from the episode and like deliver a Picard line and then we can take turns in like our worst French accent. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. Okay. We'll think, of some, we'll think of something else. Yeah, we'll think of something. 